I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast. Your host is ever Matt Dixon. And this week, well, we're going to go a little different. We're going to open the lid on the coaching process. We're going to do a case study this week. And the mission, the aim is to help set your mindset and approach to your best performance, whatever your sport might be. You see, when great performances happen, especially I find amongst elite athlete performances, most assume that it's simply a result of some Herculean training, a perfect rhythm and flow that breeds this great excellence. The truth is it's seldom that simple. For Jesse Thomas, Purple Patch professional athlete, his mission is to find world-class performance in triathlon while also juggling his responsibilities as a husband, a father of two, as well as being the co-founder and CEO of Picky Bars. He did that just this last weekend with what I would call a career performance at the famous iron distance race in Germany, Challenge Rolt, or as the Americans would say, Challenge Roth. I don't offer insight today with some aim of promotion of his results or success, but the mission is to draw the lines between his experiences and his great performance and your journey in your own performance. And so how do we develop his season? What do we do to manage performance readiness with his life responsibilities? And what hurdles did we overcome on the path to a great single performance? Find out in today's show. But first, let's do that thing. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. So the word of the week this week, pretty simple one, protein. Yes, a little nutritional tug and reminder this week for you guys, especially if you're in the middle of heavy training. You see, protein is what I would call the de-stressing, recovery-inducing wonder macronutrient. Don't forget to include a baseline of protein in every one of your meals. But let's get practical. Firstly, post-workout fueling. Consuming protein closely following your workout will help kickstart the recovery process and muscle rejuvenation. It will naturally suppress the stress hormones that are circulating to help performance during training, but not what you want to carry around for your rest of the day. Protein helps lower them. And thirdly, it's going to set you up for sustained energy management and portion and food choice control in the rest of your day. Secondly, protein before bedtime, especially female athletes, and especially if you're in heavy training, adding about 15 to 20 grams of protein, and an example of that is a non-fat Greek yogurt, something like that before bed, especially in hard training, is going to facilitate both quality of sleep and improve recovery and rejuvenation. So it's a good thing to include. So remember, fueling and quality nutrition is a part of your training program. If you're performance driven, it cannot be an afterthought. And that is why this week, the word of the week is protein. Now let's get on with the meat and potatoes. But just before we dive in a word, you see, I find that so many athletes struggle to follow a stock training program without the tools to manage and adapt training, and they are unsuccessful in truly integrating into life. In fact, much of what we're going to talk about today, as it pertains to Jesse, is exactly the mindset and the approach that we set for the Purple Patch custom programming coaching product. We customize to your long-term journey, your events and goals, but also the hours that you have available, when you like to train by discipline, and of course, your level by discipline. Are you advanced? Are you more developing in swimming, cycling, and running? So if you have a full race coming and you want to have a chat to us, reach out. I don't pretend that this program is everyone, but just head to purplepatchfitness.com, reach out, we'll have a chat and we'll have a good discussion to know if that coaching product is a good fit for your needs. But now let's dive into Jess's journey to Roth and let's see how performance in a time-starved life really works. Yes, the meat and potatoes. All 
Right, so the meat and potatoes, and yes, it is all about, once again, Jesse Thomas. And by way of introduction, look, Jesse has had a great career. There's no question that. And we've had a long coaching relationship, two-time Ironman champion, six-time the historic Wildflower champion, multiple Ironman 70.3 wins and podiums. This weekend, for me, I think for a coach, was perhaps his best personal performance at the age of 38. Seven hours and 54 minutes finishing time, a podium finish against a deep world-class field, a 2.44 marathon off the bike. Today, we're going to go through his journey and talk about it through my lens, the coach. I deliberately didn't ask Jesse his thoughts on this. You can hear all about that in episode 18 and 19 of the podcast. We've gone through the Jesse Thomas story. Today, I wanted to go a bit more coaching and a bit more of a case study of how we approach a time-staffed athlete, of which I think Jesse is the epitome. So I wanted to provide you with my thoughts on how to manage that time-staffed elite performer so that we could apply it to you. I think it's important to remember a couple of things as we dissect Jesse's progression to this performance. First, Jesse and I have been working with each other for almost a decade, so we know each other very, very well. Secondly, Jesse has developed over that decade, both physiologically and emotionally, so he has a very strong platform from which we can, as a team, make decisions. By way of background, if you don't know Jesse, running is his strength. In fact, he's a very storied runner at Stanford University. Swimming was his weakness, but he certainly worked on that a lot in the early years of our coaching relationship. In fact, for three seasons, it took up more than 50% of his weekly training hours over the winter months. Also, and he'll be the first to admit to this, he's pretty injury prone, particularly around running. He has osteoarthritic freet, he's got susceptible Achilles, and he typically gets a fair amount of hamstring tightness and low back pain, particularly from nerve pain when he's in the time trial position on the bicycle for too long. On top of the performance side and his strengths and weaknesses, he's very, very busy. He has a wife and two children, and is very active as a father. Lauren, his wife, the best athlete in the family, let's at least recognize that, has more than a full life also. So both Lauren and Jesse are very, very busy and very active. And on top of it, they co-founded Picky Bars. And Picky Bars has had a massive growth trajectory over the last years. And so they're in a point where they are running a real company with two children, young children, and at the same time, he's on this quest for world-class performance. Right now, Jesse is, by his own admission, in the twilight years. He's drawing to the end of his elite professional racing globally. And so we have to be much more targeted in both his race choices as well as his goals. So let's talk about, as we go into our journey, our mission for this year, 2018. And it has to be said that it was almost singular emission. Typically with an elite athlete, there is a key goal, but we have lots of mini goals to say, well, we'd like to achieve this. We'd look for development in this area. We had three or four races that we're really targeting, perhaps culminating in a world championships. But for Jesse, there was no world championships. There were much fewer races. And in fact, we thought about what can we accomplish in 2018 as we draw closer towards the end of your career. Well, all of Jesse's races up to this point that have been Iron Distance or Ironman races have been deliberately chosen to be on very tough courses. Ironman Wales, very hilly, never a flat piece of terrain on the bike or run. Ironman Lanzarote, where you have the variable and hilly and the winds, let alone the heat. And of course, the Hawaii Ironman, the World Championships. So we had a question for each other. What could we do differently this year? What would be the thing that would both be fresh and exciting? You're done with the Hawaii Ironman. You've done lots of challenging races. Well, it felt right to go to Challenge Rolt, or as I said, the Americans, Roth, for you guys that are listening in the States. A historic race in Germany, touted as one of the best races in the world, a very fast course, but always attracting big world-class fields. On beyond the actual competition, there are literally hundreds of thousands of spectators lining the course. Outside of the Hawaii Ironman, many feels like this is the race. And our mission that we came up with for Jesse is let's take this opportunity at 38, forgive you the chance, the opportunity to go and do one 
really fast Ironman. And of course, can you break eight hours? Eight hours, yep, a fast Ironman, under eight hours. I know that there's a paradox there. So that was the mission. Can we go and can we break eight hours? But on top of that, can you get there and put together a really solid run performance you'll be proud of? Sub 245 is what we were going for. And on top of it, we wanted to achieve two more things, which is to hopefully sneak onto the podium, be top three, and ensure that we experience and celebrate what is such a historic race with no fear of consequence. Well, by now you likely know, but the mission was accomplished. Every box was ticked. 7.54, 2.44, third place finish. And I'm telling you, he raced without fear. So what I want to do is dive into the progression and the training of what it took to get there. So let's start first at the end of last year. Jesse had finished the Hawaii Ironman and he had a very tough, big, brutal preparation for that race. It was both emotionally and physically draining, let alone the actual experience of race day itself. So key point number one for today, take a break. Too many just push, push and push and never step off the treadmill of training for a race. It was key, we felt, that he had to refresh both mentally and physically and allow space to focus on the other elements of his life. And for Jesse, of course, that's work and family. But within this, that becomes my second little paradox. We still wanted him to progress forward. We didn't want to move back. In fact, as an athlete, you want to understand that you should never underestimate the value of not going backwards. So how could we achieve two things? How could we take a break, key point number one, at the same time, still progress forward? Well, this is how we did it. The first thing was to give him two clear weeks. We want to absolutely refresh body and mind. And so in those two weeks, he didn't think at all about triathlon. In fact, he was mostly inactive outside of chasing children around, going on the occasional hike and enjoying the full weather in Bend, Oregon, where his base. But then we went into the critical element of one of the foundational elements that actually enabled success at Challenge Rolt just a couple of weeks ago. And that was what we call postseason. Many coaches and athletes will call it preseason or offseason, but we call it postseason. This for me is the most often missed piece of an athlete performance puzzle. Now, let's define postseason. It's a time of training that has the lowest time commitment so far as number of hours that you have to train. It has the lowest physical stress and there is lots of leeway for fun parallel activities. But it was actually absolutely central in specific preparatory work for Jesse. So in Jesse's case, what we actually focused on, and we put this first, was number one, strength and conditioning. Remember I talked about his history of actually being a little bit injury prone. So we put strength and conditioning absolutely first on the puzzle, both in terms of therapeutic, a platform of resilience, and of course, to actually continue to develop the athlete first mindset from which then over the course of the season, we could develop the triathlete mindset. The second component of postseason was swimming. We knew that it was a really safe environment to work on cardiovascular conditioning, continue to work on his weakness, and also hit, without fear of fatigue induced and both emotionally and physically, a lot of speed and top-end work. So we did quite a lot of high-intensity, high-speed swimming over the course of the postseason. The third element of postseason was riding. And the reason that we want to focus on riding is to prepare the joints, tendons and muscles with some low cadence work. We wanted to ensure that we could develop resilience around the joints so that he would, when he was ready in a couple of months, he was ready to absorb heavy work that was coming with what we call pre-season work. So the riding that we were doing was mostly low cadence and it was in pursuit of preparing the body to absorb and adapt to some very hard training, which we knew would be coming up in a couple of months. Without that work, 
he was missing that platform. Without the low cadence work, he wouldn't be able to absorb the heavy work that was coming in a couple of months, and there would be a much higher chance of injury. And that's why that post-season component is so critical, even though it didn't demand much time, it wasn't challenging emotionally. We took him off the time trial bike with his nerve issues that he has with his pain. There's no point in putting him on the time trial bike nine months before challenge roll. So we took him off the time trial bike. Instead, we had him hit the mountain bike, albeit making sure that he'd stayed safe, and do a lot of playtime on the road bike. And even as the weather came in, put the snow tires on, have him do some fat biking. The final key point on his riding in postseason is it was typically low mileage. So we didn't do a lot of hours of training. We maybe snuck out for one or two rides a week, but we spent quite a fair bit of time on the trainer. But why did we do that? Well, it was because he doesn't need to carry on building a base. And we wanted to ensure that we could give him lots of time to focus on the key elements which we wanted to shift up or bubble up in emphasis over the course of the winter months. Lots of time and freedom for his family. Lots of opportunity to work on picky bars and his role as a CEO. And so we needed to actually shift our lens, do low mileage, And as previously mentioned, do some very low cadence work. And of course, it gave us the opportunity to work on one element that we knew that could help him keep moving forward, speed. So while we weren't chasing miles, we were chasing speed and power. Lots of high intensity coupled with that low cadence work. And it enabled him to carry on evolving, knowing that the mileage was going to come much closer to the race as we moved into the spring and summer months. Finally, running. How did we approach that in the postseason? Well, guess what? Most of it was anchored around skiing. You see, Jesse lives in Bend, and it's a very different, low-risk opportunity with his history of osteoarthritis in the feet as well as Achilles issues. We could pass him in cross-country skis and have him go around and do some low-risk adventure-type training. Any running that he did do, we made sure was on a soft surface with lots of variable terrain to help him with his natural biomechanics and help develop ankle and knee stability as he was running and hopping from rock to rock or root to root. And ultimately, the truth be told, running was his lowest focus for improvement. You see, it was his strength. He's been running since he's been a little kid. He ran in college. And so by shifting the emphasis in this order to strength, then swim, then bike, with running being, yeah, a little bit of an afterthought, we knew that we had the best opportunity when things got serious in the spring, that we could shift up and lift up the running emphasis hopefully off of a platform of resilience and robustness that he could put together some very quality training as he would get going. And the key mission was to try and be injury-free and consistent for the last couple of months going into Challenge Road. So overall, he was running at about 65 to 70% of his training hours in any given week. So it was just over half to two-thirds of his typical training hours. That, of course, gave freedom. That gave him time to give to the family, time to give to his responsibilities as a CEO, while also not retreating and losing that second word of performance, specificity. We also wanted to give him a lot of leeway for life. We wanted to give him even less training over the holiday period and times when he would have work commitments such as off-sites. And we became very unstructured in that period, enabling him to not have much less emotional toll because I believe that we cannot differentiate life stress from training stress. So in times of holidays, in times of busy work commitments, we wanted to give him the capacity the emotional capacity to focus on those elements of life because we knew when it was going to come up in the spring, we would be asking more from a training component and that would be the time that maybe work had to take a little bit of a back seat. And ultimately, all wrapped up in a bow, we wanted to only fully commit to the critical and that's why our training load went down. We wanted to leave space for him, give him capacity to grow as a father, grow as a CEO, and have it be the third component. So I think that starts to paint a picture of those months, November, December, January, 
where yes, he was moving forward. Yes, he had some specificity in his program, but no, he wasn't obsessed about the key target and goal coming up. He wasn't chasing miles and hours. Instead, he had a lot of leeway, a lot of fluid and dynamic approach to his training. And when he was ready to turn the dial up, he was ready both physically to absorb the work in an appropriate way because of the specificity we've done, but also emotionally. And I think that's a really key element for a time-staffed athlete that needs to be considered. So for you, the time-staffed athlete, what are the lessons? Well, number one, too many think of a winter of work, meaning doubling up on obsession. This is going to be the year that I'm going to get done. In fact, What it means typically is focusing away from the demands of the event and providing yourself with a platform of preparatory work. And that doesn't always mean more training. That means high specificity, having the courage to do some targeted, quite often high intensity work and saving the miles for later. The second thing is it doesn't mean you are regressing if you're training slightly less in the winter months, but the key to it is it has to retain specificity and it must include consistency. You cannot turn your back on the sport and expect to evolve, but you don't have to be an obsessive triathlete or whatever your chosen sport is for 12 months of the year. And finally, Don't always train to the demands of your event. Use that period, use those winter months to train on the other elements of you becoming a better global athlete. Okay, let's move to the second phase or mindset when we talked about building the journey for Jesse. I would title this Fit, Fresh and Lean Enough. You see, if I had a complaint about Jesse's preparation for his last two Hawaii Ironman World Championship races, I would say, and we can say this as a team, both as Jesse and I in reflection, that firstly, he probably had an accumulation of a little too much Ironman specific work that bordered on the line of accumulated fatigue. And the second component is that I felt Jesse went into the race both times a little too light. You see, Jesse is a strength athlete. He is, by definition, strong. He's a bigger guy. He weighs in the 170s, so he's not a light, fragile guy. But to offset the heat effect, we went light. And I think, in reflection, we probably went a little too light. So as we moved to planning Challenge Rolt, we wanted to play to his strengths. So that's our key point number two today. Ensure that we have a program that played to Jesse's strengths. And ultimately, he is a strength athlete, and that's how I wanted him to go into the race. I wanted to ensure that he was fit, but he was fresh, and we had to do that by balancing life and training stress, and that he was lean, but only lean enough before we started to lose that resilience and strength that comes with enough mass to go through eight hours or so of Ironman distance racing. So we play to his strengths. What does that actually mean? Well, the first is eating around quality habits that are not obsessive. So we missioned for strength and resilience over lighter weight. We wanted to do just enough Our mission as we went through the training is to lean into and use as a platform all of the years of development. So we had a primary commitment to arrive to this race fresh. And this informs both the weekly training planning, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. The third element is we wanted to keep it variable and fun. A big part of Jesse's existence as an athlete and why he was so successful at the Wildflower Triathlon is that he loves things to be fun. He loves things to be mixed up. And so rather than hide that and just say, you're doing a fast course, let's go fast. I wanted to have the courage as a coach and hopefully Jesse would come along to make sure that every event that we chose on the way was a fun event and was anchored around what Jesse could love. Because I felt that if he went in happy, and if he was enjoying his training and loving racing as a part of it, there was a much better chance when he showed up to weigh fit enough and just light enough that he would have fun and have freedom to go and race to how he could do and what his body would provide him. 
And so we chose events around that. The first was Oceanside 70.3, a race in Southern California, which he has very fond memories of. He's had some great sprint finishes. It's one of his favorites. The second race that we chose was Wildflower. Enough said. We've talked about that enough. He's won it six times. Tremendous. But within the last weeks going into the race, he raced a local, what I would call, mini Olympic event, which included downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, kayaking, riding and running. Yep, a little out of the box, I agree, but fun and variable. And that was key. I wanted to make sure that this year was all anchored around everything being a prize, a treasure and a joy to go to so that he could go to Challenge Roth and carry that same spirit into it. The third component, as we talked about before, lean while staying healthy. With that historical fragility around running injuries, we had to be cautious on the running. So we've talked about body weight and making sure that he was strong enough, but we realized that it was critical that he showed up to Rote with a really consistent running project that had occurred through consistency of not overrunning him. And so as we talked about before, cross-country skiing in the winter, every piece of running that Jesse does on a soft surface, never having more running than two days in a row. So very rarely would we go more than two days in a row without a third day being broken off. And finally, having great care with speed work and our mission, and here's a good point for you guys that are Ironman fanatics, to build running resilience and the miles needed by doing it in broken runs. So an example of that is rather than going out on a two and a half hour run and accumulating big running mileage because that's what you need for an Ironman, instead, we might have him do three or even four runs over a 36 hour period. Much better to break it down with better quality and eating, resting and recovery between to ensure that we could accumulate the resilience and the muscular endurance instead of a big hit, which was much greater risk of osteoarthritic resulting in injury. And so overall, we wanted him to be strong. We wanted him to be healthy and we wanted him to be, yes, excited. So let's get into the nuts and bolts. How did we actually map the roadmap of the Ironman block? So when we think about an Ironman race build, typically it's about 14 weeks of preparation. That's the X in the calendar when we say, okay, we're progressing from training to now we're getting ready for your Ryan distance race. So think about it as just over three months. Well, we had a few dynamics in play when we had to create the training roadmap to get him ready. We had a few massive work commitments, which included a whole week off-site for the company where he was going to be really busy talking to his employees. We had a family and baby that was only a few months old, and we had to ensure that he was in harmony in that side of life. Because remember, we said one of the components is he's got to be excited. So we couldn't have the sport be a drain on that side of life. We wanted to ensure that he could be retain an active participant. His total weekly training hours and duration would be much less than all of his other competitors. And finally, life was chaotic. Any plan that we were going to create, we knew would have to be applied and executed with very low emotion, great logic, a dynamic mindset, and with absolutely no worry around accumulating total hours or miles. In fact, we started the 14-week race build knowing, having the assumption that we would not hit everything prescribed as plan. When it came to the race, we knew that by the time he was race ready, he was going to show up and there were going to be some very fast riders there. And that might, as you're going to find out later, influence the tactics for Jesse. Hence, it had to influence the preparation. And we also understood in the race dynamics with those fast riders there and a potential influence on how we were going to approach the race, that we were going to have to train him to be able to run fast on fatigued legs. Because yes, he was going to be in store for probably a pretty hard bike ride. 
And so we had to try and train him to become very familiar with the sensation of fatigue and still enable him to run fast. I think you'll agree 244 is pretty fast, fast off of that hard bike ride. So those were all the dynamics, work commitments, family, knowing that our total training duration by definition would be less than his competition, knowing that life was chaotic and even the plan that we would create would probably be executed with a little bit of a haphazard mindset. And ultimately, we had to train him for the specific demands and tactics that he was going to deploy in the race. So how did we do that? What were the key points of training that we would look to? Well, I think there were two big things, two big points. The first, a paradox. As he was training for his iron distance race, we decided that we were going to avoid too much iron distance training. You see, iron distance training classically is a long duration sitting at a moderately strong capacity. And we knew from experience, particularly our experience of our last two races in Hawaii, that Jesse, like many, many other athletes, accumulate fatigue very quickly when you spend too much time at a moderately strong effort. And so we made the decision, out of the box for some maybe, that we were going to spend minimal time doing classic iron distance specific training. The second key point in training is If our total training hours were going to be less than competition, we would have no choice but to up the intensity of the key sessions. So our key to get around the lower volume approach or low duration of total training hours was to amp the intensity up. And there's a big lesson in this for you, a key point in this part of the discussion. If you begin your training program for your goals, whether you're getting ready for a marathon, a half Ironman, an Ironman, if you have the mission of trying to fit a set number of training hours into each week of your life, I promise you, you are on a path to failure. You see, the key, the key, and it's very basic but critical, is in integration and then execution of that integrated program with a dynamic mindset so that you can have freedom to adjust the training to the ebbs and flow of life. If you have a static program and you try and force it into life, I'll repeat, you are on a path to failure. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Let's take a two minute tangent and let's talk about a couple of training sessions because I wanna think about the classic Ironman approach and how we did it for Jesse. Now, for you folks out here, there might be some scary numbers. These are numbers that scare me. And I tell you as an athlete, these are numbers that I never came close to. But I'm gonna give you the numbers just so that it helps. So let's talk about Jesse's half Ironman or Ironman 70.3 race pace. In the run, it's give or take about five 15 minute miles. So for every mile, it's taking him about five minutes and 15 seconds. For an Ironman, it's about a minute per mile slower, 6.15 pace. So that's what we're playing with. Half Ironman or a half marathon distance off the bike is running about 5.15s. For 26.2 or 42K, he's running about 6.15 pace. So in training, a classic approach to do a bike ride and then run off would say, okay, Jesse, you have to run X number of minutes at your Ironman pace. So go and run 40 minutes locking into rhythm at 6.15 pace. We didn't feel like that was a big enough stimulus. So we wanted to set that stimulus higher as we wanted to achieve a couple of things. Firstly, time effectiveness. And secondly, train Jesse to get up to speed and great quality running very, very quickly. He had to learn to run well off of a fatiguing bike ride and simulate Ironman fatigue without the big miles. So instead, his brick run or run off the bike would typically be more like this. Rather than going 40 minutes at 6.15 pace, his Ironman specific run, nothing wrong with doing it. Instead, we might go three or four rounds of going two minutes at steady endurance, four minutes at somewhere around 5.15 pace. So very, very fast. 
cycle through that a couple of times and then hit 10 to 15 minutes of the Ironman pace. So that was one way to start to stimulate a little increase intensity, a little greater stimulus, but still finish at that Ironman pace feeling, always doing that last Ironman pace without looking at the watch. The same can be said when we apply it to the bike ride. How could we train Jesse to ride strong for the time that he was going to be asked to do at Challenge Rope with less training, total training hours than typically available? We knew that athletes like Sebastian Keenley, Cameron Worth, two of the best riders in the sport, were going to be chasing Challenge Rope. The train was leaving the station. The question was, with less training hours, could we get Jesse to be on that train? Could we get Jesse to be sitting behind nice and progressive? Well, the classic Ironman might be to say, head out on a bunch of miles and do two or three 45 to 60 minute intervals at Ironman effort with 15 minutes between. Nothing wrong with that, but That wasn't the picture for Jesse. That wasn't what we would look for him. Instead, we might have him go and ride three or four hours, but in the front end of the ride, we'd have him do a power pyramid. Eight minutes, six minutes, four minutes, six minutes, eight minutes at a very strong effort, well above Ironman race effort. Very, very strong with just three or four minutes between each. But once done with that, then we wanted to settle in to a 30, 45 or 60 minute effort at Ironman effort. He could settle in, lock into feeling with amplified stimulus, amplified fatigue, and then be forced to hold form under fatigue. So you'll realize here that there's very little time spent at the specific race effort that he planned to do in the race. There is much more time of training spent well above or well below race pace. The final piece of the puzzle is really just for emotional familiarity and to ensure that he can lock into good form under fatigue. So we applied these two components, both the run well above into settling into Ironman race pace, as well as getting to speed quickly and then settling to Ironman race pace throughout the program. And in essence, we're training for an Ironman distance race without any Ironman training. Anyway, I digress. Let's come back. The key for the roadmap to Ironman was not based on building miles or hours. It wasn't based around training specifically around race pace. We trained for the demands of the experience in the race. And of course, within the limitations that his life was set for. We knew that he couldn't do the 30 hours a week that many elite athletes do. So our quest was how do we get there on 15 to 18 hours a week? Well, we've discussed the big picture. We've discussed the mission. Let's talk about the fourth, planning and mapping a week of training. Because I think there are a few elements in here that are really key when we think about both mapping and executing training. Now, As I've said before, proper coaching isn't just the prescription of training. For me, proper coaching is a smart prescription, but then education on how to execute and manage the training. In Jesse Thomas's case, I, the coach, had a massive advantage. You see, we had a decade of learning each other, and ultimately, by this point in his journey, he was empowered to self-manage. So I could enjoy the fruits of many, many years of explaining the why behind the program and what we want to accomplish. And Jesse, in his turn, could be trusted to self-manage and do a lot of this by himself. What better situation can you have as a coach than to have an athlete who is in sync and able to trust himself to make smart and logical decisions in training? So let's talk about how we would set up a week of training for Jesse. And I think this is really important for you to understand when you apply it to your own training program. Well, the first thing is I knew it couldn't look like beef stew, all mixed up and one big mess. We had to have very clear, defined purposes on sessions and days. When life is chaotic and life is busy, it amplifies the need for crystal clear clarity. You have to know exactly what you're looking to achieve in every session and on every day. But beyond that, it had to be flexible. 
family and work would constantly deliver life stress. And that means that it would interrupt scheduled dynamics. And ultimately, we had to look to execute 14 weeks of great training off of the back of 20 or so weeks of great post and pre-season work and not just look for big days or single weeks. It comes back to that same thing. Health, consistency, energy, and excitement was the mission. So we took a broad lens over the course of 14 weeks. We knew that it had to be flexible, and we also knew that it had to have great clarity. So with all of that in mind, we built it around key days. When Jesse Thomas was on, he was on. And those were the key days. These were typically very tough sessions and bigger in duration. But the key is in any given week of training, in Jesse's situation with his busy life as a CEO and as a family, we probably didn't have more than two days a week that he was on. So these sessions could ultimately be moved to be executed when he was feeling best. He had to have a degree of flexibility knowing that life was going to bring unpredictable stress. And so we anchored these are your on days. Whatever happens over the course of 14 weeks, you have give or take 25 to 28 opportunities to hit some big sessions to get ready for this one single eight hour event. And so that was probably one less a day a week of training than most of my elite athletes, but it was due to his life situation. It was due to the external stress that he has. So let's anchor around a couple of big sessions every single week. Then he would have the supporting days and the supporting days were there to retain the focus on strength, to ensure that he had the platform of enough endurance and to ensure that these were the first sessions that he could, without emotion, without fear, scale or even eliminate if he had creeping fatigue or life situations. Most of the focus of these sessions anchored around preparation for an upcoming key session, recovery from a key session, rather than trying to drive forward in fitness or preparation for challenge growth. So could we execute each week with two key days that would move Jesse forward by week towards his goal? And then could we support those key sessions with high value supporting sessions? It doesn't sound like much, but what ended up happening was it created highly effective training. 22 to 28 key sessions over the course of 14 weeks with two to three races that we could inject in there, Oceanside, Wildflower, the crazy Olympics type event with kayaking and everything else that was crazy to get ready for, and this is important, a single day event. He's not getting ready for the Tour de France. He doesn't have to do challenge roll the next day. He has to do it once. And I think that's a key point that we have to bring out here. So let's pause. Key point of education for you. You cannot look at a week of training as being successful as just based on hitting every single session. Instead, you must know and understand the purpose and buy into the purpose you must identify the big sessions, the ones that are designed to move you forward, and then you must manage life around it. And if that means that you have to sometimes reduce or scale or eliminate some of the supporting sessions, so be it. Do it without guilt. But make everything you can do to ensure consistency and ensure that those big sessions are highly effective. So to finish the discussion, Let's talk a little bit about race planning with Jesse. And this is when it becomes very specific around here's an athlete, his assets, his strengths, and what and who he's going to be greeted with on race day. So Challenge Rolt is a fast course, but within that fast course, there is lots of variability, lots of little hills, lots of descents, lots of opportunity to find speed. When approaching most races, the choice for a coach and athlete is, do we set up strategy around your own individual readiness and preparation, or do we set up strategy around the dynamics of the race and the competition? Well, for me, the former is typically the absolute driver for race strategy. I almost always seek best personal performance, and then as a background, simply have an awareness for competition. 
Challenge Rope was a little different. It had a very large field on a faster course. Within that field of the elite male athletes, there were a host of very, very strong select group of cyclists. And in addition, not necessarily the strong cyclists, but there was a big bulb of very fast runners. So I felt in this case was, yes, we had to race to Jesse's best performance of the day. We had to prepare him to do his best race that he possibly could. But it was probably in his best interest to use fairly, and fairly I might add, to use faster riders to help him pace until he felt like it was doing great damage. Hopefully he could get up in the field, bring him up to the front group or even ahead of the front group, and hopefully end the bike ride with or ahead of the faster runners in the race. And then off of that fast bike ride and harder bike ride, try and execute the best individual marathon performance that he could, which in turn would hopefully leave me in a good place. So what this would mean in real life was that he would be taking a flying risk because it would mean we knew riding well above his normal race output for the first third of the bike leg. So to be successful, we realized that he had to arrive fresh to the race. Fatigue would mean that if he overrode the front part of the leg, it would certainly create a poor run. He also had to be willing to risk. No one could tell if he could run off of such a hard effort on the front end. No one knows. We'd never tried it before. So he had to have the courage to prepare and sacrifice and aim for the single event and actually take a little bit of a risk by saying, the chances are, if my legs are good, I'm going to go on the bike ride. And finally, that courage would have to come through when the assumption that we had, he would lose the very front, the Uber bike riders, but he would have to have the courage to stay hyper-focused as gaps started to appear ahead as the fast riders rode away and they were built on back of it and he had to move back into holding form under fatigue. So it was going to take both a willingness to risk, but courage on race day to actually follow through and stay focused if, as indeed did happen, he did get dropped off that front group. So what were the results on race day? Well, lucky for us, he ended up having a great day physically and he was rewarded for having that freedom to fail mindset. He rode the first 90 kilometers very, very strong. How strong was it? Well, it was a PR in terms of power and pace, speed, for a half Ironman distance. The first loop, just the first half of the bike ride, was faster than what he usually rides in a typical half Ironman. Of course, by definition, he suffered on the back half of the bike ride. His second loop was 10 or 15 minutes slower than the first loop. And the power was high on the first loop. So before you say, oh, he had a draft advantage, he absolutely didn't. But he managed to retain the ability to run well. And I'm pretty convinced as a coach that came with the specificity of the training that we had him execute and the freshness that we had him arrive at the race for. So as I reflect as a coach, there are a few things that really spring to mind. Firstly, as an athlete, I'm pretty sure that I couldn't have done this. Jesse has great confidence. He's a pure racer and he has, by definition, courage to fail in order to find success. Also, the occasion, the event lifted him rather than suppressed him. But most importantly, his lens on training was less about training itself and more about preparation for the demands of the event. And it's so simple, but so few get this. I know that I didn't, as a world-class trainer, driving myself into chronic fatigue. It wasn't about how much. It was about what do I need to do to be great for eight hours? So I want you to make no mistake on this. While we're talking about what we did to help Jesse get ready, this was Jesse Thomas's performance. It's something I couldn't have done as an athlete. It's something that I think many athletes couldn't have done. To have the confidence, to have the courage, to not be influenced by what others are doing and to go in and to race with complete freedom to fail. That takes a special athlete and that's something that you can't craft, that you can't create. This sits on Jesse's shoulders. It was a great personal performance for him. I also think 
when I reflect on the race about the value of long-term coaching. You see, throughout the course of the years, it's wonderful and it's enjoyable to talk about this race and how we achieve success. But over the course of the decade or so that we've been coaching with each other, we've had plenty of struggles. We've had several injuries, many setbacks, and this plan of attack and mindset could not be born out of a first season of coaching. I feel like this was the real fruit of the years of trust, development, education and empowerment. The third element about Jess's journey that I really think about reflection as a coach is the whole thing was fun. So Jesse did his best elite triathlon performance, including cross-country skiing, mountain biking, road biking, kayaking, and a whole bunch of fun stuff. Yes, we track metrics, but we weren't shackled by metrics. We were committed to the event itself, and we were committed to ensuring that we were showing up fresh and excited and making it fun and not making it a burden, I think, to help Jesse bring out his best possible performance. So to end, let me leave you with this. What were my final words to Jesse pre-race? What did I say to him? Because we'd already discussed the dynamics. We'd discussed the strategy. By the time it came to race week, none of that, none of the execution component was key to review. So the last thing I said to him was go and have fun. There will be few more occasions that you get to step up and race a race like this, to go and race a field like this, to be in such physical condition. And it would be a shame to allow that occasion to dwarf your enjoyment and disable the chance to go and love it. So instead, let the occasion lift you. Go and have fun, take risks, Jump in with two feet. It's the only way that we'll know if we can do something special. Well, guess what? He jumped all right. Well done, Jesse. A great example of performance in a time-starved life. And I hope that you guys, the listeners, can draw from this. I hope you can learn something because it's not all about spreadsheets. It's not all about obsession. And it's not all about on, on, on. Take a step back, but keep moving forward. Until next time, thanks for joining. Cheers.